be simply me, no matter what, nothing else matters. The podcast for personal inspiration, being you again and we much more, simply you, no matter what, nothing else matters. My today's guest is Perry Bauer, actor, writer, mentor and sexual abuse survivor, Perry Powder influences Jane through powerful storytelling. Ranking up to 2.3 million likes and 125k followers on TikTok, his message of helping sexual abuse survivors break the silence speaks to the heart of many people all over the world. Perry co-runs a charity called We Rescue Kids, where they rescue kids from sexual abuse and give them the support they need to heal and positively move forward. Perry's latest books, Breaking the Silence, reached the number one spot on Amazon for sexual abuse and mental health. Perry has been seen on Fox, NBC's, CBS, MTV, Sky and The Goodman Project. And he is now working on his new project, which is Breaking the Silent, the movie, hoping that his story continues to impact the lives of those who need to hear it most. Hello, hello, hello. I'm so thrilled and excited having you on my show, Perry, because after six months consisting, because I truly want to have you on my show, I'm very welcoming you from Austria, from Vienna at the moment. And I'm um, thrilled that you're here. No, I appreciate that. It, it has been, I couldn't believe when you said it's been six months. It's like, geez, time is, is going very quick yes. recently. I think it's even longer, but you know, since COVID, since COVID, uh, yeah. it, it doesn't matter at all. Which seems like it's been forever, our yes. entire lives. But yeah, thank um, you for having me on. Been really, really looking forward to it. Your story is like, I always thought that, that my story is like, you know, kind of uh, challenging. But when I, when I read your bio and heard more about you, I, I was like, we have to talk. We have to mm -hmm. break the silence. We have to get out there. We have to talk and support as many as possible. Um, and my first question uh, would be, how was your childhood? How was it? How, how was your childhood? See, I think when, when people know my story and then they ask how my childhood was, I think, you know, sometimes people expect me to say, oh, my, my childhood was, was terrible or it was something within the, the you know, the, the realm of negativity, but it wasn't. I, I, I think I had a great childhood. Sure, sure, bad things happened in it, but I'm not going to let that blanket over the whole childhood and say that my childhood was bad. So for me, my childhood was great. Uh, my I had loving parents my my mum walked out when I was four but she had her own reasons of doing it right and um, she's in my life now which is great but it was just me and my dad for for a couple of years and then he met a, a new woman a South African woman who they then got married in SA when I was uh nine years old I think I was and I was the best man I I was the ring bearer right it was my day it wasn't their day it was my day I loved it And then, um, then we came back and then when I was like 10 years old, roughly, was when it all started. And when I say when it all started, I'm talking to about the, the sexual abuse. So this happened around my nan's house, which is my, my dad's mum. She had a husband, my step-granddad, 
and I would go around there and most of, nearly all of the times I wouldn't go around there on my own. There'll be another family member that would come around with me. Usually it would be my cousin or be my auntie. Sometimes it would be my dad. And he would sometimes abuse me when people are in the room. Sometimes he would abuse me when nobody was in the room. Okay. And I think he, he done it from, you know, like how some people like to have sex in public because of the fear of getting caught, right? It's part of the thrill. I think for my step granddad, it was the same sort of thing, but with the abuse. And he, most of the time it would be like, I would sit on his lap whilst we're watching TV. And that's when he would do his business. Right. But like when I was at that age, I didn't know anything was wrong. I didn't know. I just thought that my step granddad was just showing me a type of love that another family member wasn't. And just because they wasn't to me, it didn't send me signals as a 10 year old child that that was wrong. It just, it was just a different kind of love. Right. And then you got to understand that blanket within that was the fact that my step granddad was grooming me which we now know is as grooming but at the time he would take me down the pub he would let me play pool he would buy me crisps he would buy me coke basically he would position himself as a hero in my life right where there was not many rules around him you know i can do what i want so that was really cool or so it seemed um but then that allowed him to then suss me out right and then know what my barriers were in regards to the abuse, where what, what limit can I reach with Perry where it's, it doesn't tip it, right? And that's what happened for about a year and a half. And it was actually one of the times where he, he, he did it again when people are in the room. And when, now when I say people, I'm referring to my stepmom. So my stepmom was sitting on the couch and she saw right in front of her my stepmom as hands down my pants playing me and then she called me out of the living room she told my dad and I'm gonna go and tell other members of the family the story's gonna stay within these four walls of the house I was like okay right and I remember at the time when he said that I wasn't like why is he telling me to be quiet I was why is he not allowing me to go around to my nan's house anymore I still didn't understand what was actually what had happened right and but that was okay so I, I lived with that story went through school years and and then it got to the point where um things started to slowly shift and I went to college and then and then it's about four years ago I broke my silence. um you are the first man because I'm working with a lot of women regarding abuse and yeah. also teach myself for many years regarding ritual abuse because it's, it's it, it, the people are coming to me. You're the first man um, where I hear all those experience. Mm -hmm. And for me, there, and I'm so grateful that you're, I'm really grateful that you're on my show because uh, uh, regarding sexual abuse, most of the time it's connected that women got abused, not boys, not men. And yeah, the topic is there yeah. globally and it's so necessary to, as you said, breaking the silence, talking about, because there's so much hidden abuse out there, which, and, and you said it is like, you know, common in the family mm -hmm. that, that this is like shocking me all the, actually all the time when I hear it and all the time, it's like, how, how, how is, that possible? Are there no any morals out there anymore? 
And are there no any, I don't know, where, where's the protection for children? And I want to ask you, because you said you, you, most of the time when you don't know any, any, anything else than what you experience and believing that this is love, as you said, when did you recognize that this was not normal? Um, I think it really came raining down on me when, so <clears throat> when I was about 15, my nan, so I think it came raining down on me when I, us as a family, when I was 16, we moved out of London and we moved to a place called Bracknell in Berkshire. Now, I remember going to Bracknell. Now, when I was in London, I wanted to be somebody, right? And I wasn't that person. And that person that I wanted to be was this player. I wanted to be good with the girls. I wanted to have a big group of friends. I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be a lad, right? I wanted to be good at sports. You know, like if you watch a typical Hollywood, um, like American high school Hollywood movie, that the jock, I wanted to be the jock. Now, in London, I definitely wasn't a jock. I was still a virgin by the age of 16, right? And I had not many friends. I wasn't that confident. But, and... That's okay because there's people out there that's like that and that's okay, but I didn't want that to be the case. So that's where the problem lied. Now, when I moved out of London, we moved to this new location. I realized that nobody in this place would know me. Not one person would know who Perry is. So I remember saying to myself, right, this is an opportunity to be a different version of myself when I go into this new college, right? And then now I was now going to be I was, uh, 17 years old now. And I was like, right. So I, I was like, right, I'm going to be the Perry Power, who has slept with loads of girls. He's got loads of friends back in London, right? Uh, and like, he's super confident. He's a life of the party. He's a center of attention. And I faked it until I made I literally faked that person. When I went to this new college, I was that person. And I faked it until I made it, right? And then I was started to live that life. And then I then left college, went traveling, came back, rented my first place, and then Lewis Howes brings out a book called Mask of Masculinity. And he's talking about all of these masks that men wear, right? Especially when they're trying to hide something or hide parts of themselves. And Lewis Howes was abused when he was a child. And he talks about these masks and he talked about the alpha male mask and the, the mask that you wear around women. And when he spoke about these, he articulated it. It was when he was on the Ellen DeGeneres show. And he articulated it in such a way that made me realize that it wasn't necessarily a character that I created when I went to Bracknell. It was masks that I, I had consciously decided to craft, put together and start wearing in different environments so I can be a certain person. But really, even further than that, what I was actually doing was running away from this identity that I was scared to carry on living as, right? I was scared to confront it. So that's when, was, so when I realized about the mask that I'd been wearing, that's when I realized, wow, it was what actually happened when I was 10 was a bad thing. And I know that, that it is a bad thing because of how I've handled it, because of the person that it's made me become now. So that happened really when I was about 21 years old. Mm -hmm. So about six, seven years ago. Mm -hmm. Because that, that, that's, that's, um, that's how I know uh, what happens with abused people. They get a mask or a different identity yeah. and, and giving the other things more in the subconscious and, and just want to give it away. Mm -hmm. And yet, when do you do you have the feeling that you still wear the mask? 
Um, I'm sure, I'm sure there may be, here's the thing is like, I used to, back in my old business, we used to have a, a, an exercise that we give to clients called the identity shift, right? And it's about basically creating, you know, like Perry 2.0 and what is the characteristics that you want Perry 2.0 to have? Okay, great. Well, now you are that person today to start adopting it. So there's an element of fake it till you make it in there. So it's about how you want to use it, right? So like back then I used it so I can get more recognition. And all that really was, was just a lot of ego that was driving me, but in a bad way, right? If you've all read the book, Ego is the Enemy, there's a good side to the ego, there's a bad side to the ego. And it's a good thing to have your ego, but in healthy dosages, that doesn't bring you down. So in regards to today, do I still wear masks? I would say, um, I would like to say no, but also I do have my ego in check in the fact that I'm not going to say it's a hundred percent no, because there may be, there may be instances, you know, it's like somebody who's like, the more you learn, the less you realize, you know, right. The less you know, the more you realize, the less you learn, the more you, the more you, the more you know, no way. No, the, the more you weigh, you, you know, the more, the less. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like, maybe, maybe, but I do know that it's a lot under control than what it was before. Mm -hmm. And I think now I, I know the characteristics I have now, I do know are rooted from the days where I never actually had it and I had to fake it till I make it. So, uh, you know, like back then I used to have the ego to try and, you know, I was, I was, I was addicted to the girls. I was a, that player guy, right? Who was just not a nice person in ethical reasons. So like now those parts of me have dropped, right? But I've kept the parts that, that serve me. So I don't know if that is a, a good answer, but it's, I, I feel like yes and no. No, no, as I don't, I don't wear masks anymore to, to hide myself, but I may. I mean, I mean, who knows who has a mask and who has not? I think well, it's, it. it's, it's on the path and we discover each, each other more and more when you, when you recognize their subconscious, whatever mask we wear it and got it from other people. Yes. Yeah. My next question is, be, what made you break your silence and truly talk about it? It was um, my dad passing away. So that was the, that was uh, the big reason as to why I broke my silence. So like, um, it was about, I think it was about, roughly four or five months prior to Lewis Howes' book coming out, uh, my dad passed away, right? So a quick story about my dad is that uh, from about 2014, my dad started to drink more than usual. And then the drinking got worse and he started from weekend drinking to weekday drinking and drinking at home to then drinking in the car and then lying about all of his drinking. And then that drinking led to very high blood pressure and then the high blood pressure led to diabetes in January, 2017. And then in June the 1st, he then just had a heart attack out of nowhere. Well, he, he, the paramedics came around and they said that his blood, his blood level levels are off. Then he's taken down in the hospital to even his blood sugar levels out, basically blood levels out. And um, my brother called me up and said, Perry's nothing to worry about. Just needs to go down to the hospital so they can even it back out. We're going to finish eating our dinner. Then we're going to go and pick him up in about an hour. That was literally how it was. My dad was cracking jokes in the background. It was all fine. Nothing to worry about. And then it called me an hour, in an hour's time after that, and said to me that my dad was in the back of the ambulance van. He had a heart attack, and he didn't make it to the hospital. So then I then went down there, and then I was in complete denial on the way to the hospital. I remember my cousin calling me, right? 
She's like, Perry, don't tell me Uncle A is dead. I said, he's not dead. It's just a sick joke. I, was, I literally was telling her on down the phone while she's crying, he's not dead. He's completely alive. I'm going to kick his ass over for, for telling me this, for, for bringing up this kind of joke. And then I went down there and I saw him on the table, blue, looking like he was yawning, right? Like, I was like, wow, okay. And then about, I went through about a grieving process for a couple of months after that. And then, and then once I got out the phase where, you know, like after somebody passing, it's just, there's a lot of fog up here, right? You can't really think clearly. Then that fog starts to disappear over time. When that fog started to disappear over time, that was allowing me to, with space to connect some dots. And I was like, why? Because what, he had like three reasons, like three uh, causes of death, right? And um, one of them basically was intoxication um, in his liver from alcohol, basically. And it was making me think, I was like, nobody's born a drunk, nobody's born a racist, nobody's born wanted to have sex with kids, right? It doesn't happen like that, right? It's things that develop over time from conditioning, from wounds that aren't healed yet. And with my dad, I was like, his alcoholism was a coping mechanism, but what for? So I was asking myself all these questions. And then I realized that I, because it wasn't too long before that, I was like down a very suicidal path, right? And that doesn't happen out of nowhere either. So I realized that if I carry on down the same path, that I might end up the same way as my dad, heart attack and dead before the age of 50 and leave behind a family. So then when that Lewis House book came out, which is roughly around the time that those dots started connecting, so that's the universe allowing things to just happen. I remember reading that book. And then when I realized about the mask, I was like, right. Because I'm very much, if I have an idea, I, I can't like plan, like, right, I'm going to execute this in five weeks' time. And I, I can't do that. I'm, I'm executing it today. I like imperfect action just to get it done, right? So when I found out about the mask, I was like, right what is the best way for me to rip this mask off? What well, is to tell somebody who knows me about the mask? Now I was dating somebody at the time. So this is my, one of my, like my, my first ex. And she, uh, she was working at the pub at the time. I was like, right. When she comes back, because back at college, when I was like this player guy, she was the guy who like, I never made this up. This is going to sound very egotistical. I never made this up. This is a story that she used to say that her friends used to say to her that she was the one who secured the guy that was sleeping around. So she managed to secure Perry and keep him for, for herself. So when she came back, I was like, can we go for a walk? So we took our dog out for a walk. And then I said to her, I was like, you know that guy that you started dating? She's like, what are you talking about? I was like, the guy that you started dating, you know that player guy? She's like, yeah. And I said, you know, I slept with like over 20 women or whatever it was, whatever rubbish number I gave you at the time. She's like, yeah. I said, well, there's only one girl I slept with before you. And I was like, that was all lying. I just told her everything. I was like that. And then I told her the reasons why. And then, and then I told her about the abuse. And that was the first sign that somebody gave me a reaction that I wasn't really anticipating. Half of it wasn't really for a reaction from her. It was mainly for, for me, right? It's like, I need to break my silence for me to get this out there. But then she welcomed me with like open arms. She didn't reject me. She didn't say you're a widow. She didn't say you deserved it. All the things that people living in silence go through in their head. And then from her, I then went to a mastermind event for business and I told four people there. And then from there, I put a video up on Facebook on Drive Back Home. And then that's when everything just popped off from that video. When you said something very profound before, um, did other people to told you you deserve it and all the things regarding um, your views? No, now here's the thing. I know that there are people out there who get those comments. Uh, I'm completely aware of that. I, I've had this conversation quite a few times. I have the only 
time I've ever not I've said my story. I couldn't even give you a number how many times I've said my story now on different platforms. I've only ever had two negative comments ever. And those were from kids on TikTok. And it was two kids saying, ha ha, your granddad molested you. And then the other one was, ha ha, you obviously enjoyed it, right? But it was, those were kids. Didn't, I was like, great, didn't, didn't really care. So I have never, some people say it might be because I'm a man coming about it. So some people don't want to say things like that to a man where it's easier to say it to a girl because they're more appearance-wise, right? Mm-hmm. They're more fragile, they're more easy of a target to say these things and get away with it, right? So it's very interesting as to why I haven't had a single negative comment because, and I feel like I'm very fortunate in that because I know some people out there do. Some people maybe listen to this like, well, Perry, I've spoken about it and I've had this, this, and this said to me. And I've, ha- I've had people say that to me before and, and it's sad, but at the same time, it's like, at the end of the day, you know, it's like Gary, Gary V, um, re- let me see if I've got a picture. Gary V released a picture on Instagram a few days ago and I actually really liked it um, because he, here we go. So he's got a picture right with him with his fingers in his ears as if like i'm blocking you out i'm not listening to you and we have four different people saying something to him whilst he's got his fingers in his ear one person saying you think you're so smart the other person saying loser the other person saying you're the greatest of all time the other person saying your advice is so great and he's like if you can't hear them cheering then you can't hear them when they're they're talking smack to you right basically he's saying what he's saying for him Right. So it's like when you're when you're speaking out about your, your story, when you're breaking the silence, you can't hold everything in the response of the person who's, who you're saying it to, because then you're very much holding yourself on the line, because if they say something great to you, then that's fantastic. Right. But what if they don't? Then what's the opposite of fantastic? It's terrible. And then that might stop you from telling the second person or the third person. When I told my stories, when I especially when I did a video, sure, there was an element. There was a, there was a little grain of I hope I get a good reception. But I was like, you know, the famous 80-20 rule, that's about 20% of it. The 80% was I'm, I'm getting this out there for me. Like, that's it. Um, so, but I'm very fortunate that I haven't had negative comments like that before. To everybody who is listening to it, please break the silence. Talking about it, and there are always people out there who support you. There are always people out there um, who understand you. And as you said, and this was just brilliant, you tell for yourself the story, knowing that you might um, get feedback. But the, the thing, and this, um, I have also a very challenging life story. And talking about and going out there, I see that I can support and nurture other ones. Mm-hmm. And that's why I want to ask you the, the next one. You, you have such a beautiful big vision. We want to talk about it. What are you doing now? Yeah, sure. So... It's, it's quite interesting how everything has unfolded since uh, since that video, because then that video led to TikTok. Then I was like, right, I'm going to go on TikTok and I'm going to speak to these kids right there. And this is maybe a year and a half ago. And then that accumulated 2.3 million uh, likes and 125,000 followers. Most of them are, well, all of them are people who vibe with the message. A lot of them are silent followers, right? because they're in silence. And, and I remember from there, I'd get anywhere between five and 20 DMs a day, literally no exaggeration on Instagram from people from TikTok. Cause you can't DM people on TikTok unless they're following you back. 
and they'll message me on Instagram with, with all of their stories. Then that then led to me co-founding a charity called We Rescue Kids. And what we do with We Rescue Kids, there's me and two other founders, uh, we provide therapy and aftercare to child survivors of sexual abuse. And we have a campaign running at the moment where you can sponsor a child, right? So if you sponsor a child with like, for like a monthly fee, then you're going to be getting feedback from the therapist about how that child that you sponsored is progressing throughout therapy, which is amazing. And then from there, I then wrote a book called uh, Breaking the Silence, which then got to number one on Amazon in the mental health and the sexual abuse categories in the UK and the US. So that's amazing. And now from there, I am now working on a movie. So I'm writing a movie with a partner and big things are happening on that because that's about shining a light on intrafamilial abuse and about the silence that it lives and that it thrives in. And now I'm also in the works wanting to be working on an app. So there's going to be two types of apps. There's going to be an app for adults and app for children. And what these apps are designed to do is to help people live in the silence. It's basically a therapeutic tool. There's going to be journals in there. There's going to be therapists in there. There's going to be exercises. There's going to be games to help because people who suffer with like anxiety and depression, sure it can come, it can stem from anything in their life, but a lot of people who are survivors, um, well, victims before they become a survivor, right? Victims of sexual abuse, they, they really suffer with depression, with anxiety, and there's certain games and exercises that people can do within the moment to help them uh, get out of that moment where they're really in the, in the pits of really bad anxiety within that, within that moment, you know? So I want to be doing that. And for the children's app is it to be a complete animated app. So children can go on there and they can learn about abuse in an educational way. Right. Um, and, but all of this, the reason why I'm saying it is because all of this is all leading to one path. It's all leading to one vision. And that is to help. Cause I believe that the more silences that are broken from survivors of sexual abuse, I believe the more that the cases will drop down because the more that people can speak out. I mean, right now there's loads of abusers out there, right? So people speaking out won't turn an abuser to not be an abuser anymore, but it will make them second guess to do it because they're like, it's everywhere. It's signposts everywhere. Right. And then I believe that it's like, it's like a, I don't know, we call it wishful thinking, but I see like, um, the more that people break the silence, you've got, you, we've got the generation of abusers, right? And I just believe that they will just die out from like just, you know, age. And then, then the abuse, the, the abusees have spoken out. They're going to have kids. It's going to be raised in a caring way where the wounds are healed very, very quickly, right? And it's just going to be generational. So right now it's about gener- breaking a generational cycle of abuse. But I see in the future that there'll be a generational cycle of just pure healing and positivity and there won't be that many abusers out there. So that's my big vision of what I see happening. And also teaching what true loving is. And sure. not, the, not the way what, what you got teached and so many other children get teached for whatever reasons. Yes, mm-hmm. beautiful, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. Um, is, there, is there, do you wanna say something to the audience? Because I truly um, will spread it as much as possible. I also will give uh, your website and if someone out there who want to support you, they can reach you out via the website. Um, it's www.where.skewkids? No, rescues kids, isn't it? Uh, yeah, we rescuekids.org. .org. And if someone uh, want to support you, please do so. Please contact uh, Perry and also support this wonderful project. 
because it's more than necessary uh, breaking the silence and sometimes and i see it with my clients they cannot talk about but still they know that they can have a nurturing environment and can that they know that they have someone there when they want to talk that they're there for the, mm -hmm. for the people. yes mm -hmm. Is there anything you wanna you wanna tell uh, our audience about this topic? Yeah, is that when when people who are living in silence and they hear my story, it, it leaves an impression that the only way to break the silence is to follow my path, and my path is verbally telling somebody, right? And the idea of somebody living in silence for like fifteen years and telling somebody is one of the main reasons that keeps them in silence, all right? So what I say at every chance I can get is to provide this sense of awareness that those living in silence, there's many ways to break your silence. And I think that telling somebody should come at step 10 or step 100, right? You need to first start by breaking the silence to yourself and do that in one way or in many ways until you get to the point where you feel comfortable and ready to share it with somebody. Now, then it begs the question, well, how can I break the silence to myself? There's many ways you can, you can journal it. You can say it to yourself in the mirror because there's a lot of power in words. Nobody else has to hear. It's just you in that mirror. Another way is to draw, right? Another way is painting. Now I love the painting example because I say quite frequently that there's loads of paintings out there that looks like the painter has just splashed paint onto a blank canvas. And then there's like a half a million pound price tag. And you have people like, what on earth is this? Give me a paint, a paint pot and some paint brushes and I'll do it myself. Right. And, and it's interesting because people look at it as just a mess of paint. How do you know that that painter was living in silence for 20 years and the way that they broke their silence was, was from the, what we see on that blank canvas. That was them expressing their feelings that was trapped in a cage for so long, right? And it was just them in a room with nobody else, just them, paint, paintbrush, and a blank canvas. And that way of thinking, you can transfer that to, to any way, to drawing, to making a clay pot, right? It doesn't matter. It's just about expressing those emotions through a form of activity. And then once you do that with yourself so many times, then, you know, it's like, Telling somebody is like climbing Mount Everest without doing any of the summits beforehand, without no preparation, nothing. You know, go through the training first, go through the preparation first, climb other places, other mountains first, and then build up to the Everest. So that's my big sort of key takeaway for, for people who are listening to this, who are living in silence, and that's to break it to yourself first. Beautiful said. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much for opening up. Thank you very much for your path. Mm -hmm. Thank you much for breaking your silence because this um, this is so necessary, especially for men and, and boys. And that's why I'm so grateful that you're here because uh, for women, uh, I, I just support so many and it just breaks my heart every time when I hear a story like this, knowing that there's, as you, with your big vision, I have the same. Yeah. Um, and I have, I never give up the hope it's going this way. And I do, uh, as you, um, then everything that we have a wonderful world for tomorrow. Thank you yeah. very much. Yeah, thank you for having me on.
You simply are more than you think, but feel, see, hear and know.